Hello and welcome to the Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. How are you doing this week, Scott? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am uh I am well. A little uh a little sad and uh and yet grateful. My uh oldest daughter graduates from eighth grade this week. So Welcome to high school. Oh, don't get me started, man. Yeah, it just kind of yeah. terrifies me, frankly. But uh, she will do fine, and uh, and it will all be good. But where is she going to go to high school? Uh, Rockland High local school. school. Yeah, yeah, local public school here. We looked at uh, Lutheran options. Uh, the Lutheran school in Sacramento is way on the other side of town, isn't just impossible. And I just can't bear to go the route of the uh, reformed. You know, Victory Christian School. Yeah. I just, you know, once you've got the name Victory in it, it just yeah. kind of sours me. I just couldn't <laughs> do it. So anyway, um, how about you? Are you busy at all this week? Oh, man. <laughs> we are packing. Packing. Uh-huh, that sounds cause, awesome. Because we are moving. We are moving our whole household uh, yes. to California from Chicago. In well, in a couple, the the household will move in a couple of weeks. I actually fly out sooner than that. But sooner than that, yeah. I mean, I fly out in about two weeks or a week and a half, but my stuff will get there about two weeks later. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, that is just an awesome move, having done that four years ago or so, and yeah, uh, yeah. I am confident that it will be all grand in the end. Anyway, so this is episode twenty. And our topic for this episode is the topic of what your church should know about depression and mental illness. We've talked about this kind of obliquely a couple times, and and it's sort of a, an ongoing conversation that I have, at least in my own head, um, as someone who suffers from depression. So, uh, so I thought it would be helpful for us to to just kind of run through this a little bit. And discuss what are some of the what are some of the common maybe the common misconceptions things that that churches should or could know. Um, this may apply to if their pastor has depression, but I think that this uh, this really is much more much more general in scope. At least at least in my mind, along those lines. Sure, sure. So should I go first, or you want to go first? Fire away. Um. All right. Well, my first my first thing that that people should know is that depression is not the same as sadness or grief. So that's that's the first thing that that clinical depression is not exactly the same thing as just being sad or going through a a period of bereavement because you've had experienced a loss. I mean, they can overlap. I think they overlap, but clinical depression can occur even when nothing bad is happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the point. Yeah, and and I think a part of it is that the word depression, we use it in a couple different ways in our society. Um, one is to say, if you say, I'm depressed, well, why am I depressed? Well, because my sports team lost last night. Well, that's probably not the same as as clinical depression. Right. You might be sad that they lost. Um, and it might be 
uh, a temporary sadness. It might even be a se- extreme, you know, severe sadness. Sure. But it's usually temporary and it's usually tied to some circumstances that once the situation changes, then your mood changes. Whereas what we're talking about, at least the kind of depression that we're talking about is the kind that is not tied to your situation so much, not so much situational. And that's what makes it all that much more pernicious to figure out. Right, right. And and that kind of uh, leads in the same way that just as it's not sadness, it's not grief, it's not it's not something that is so uh, easily come and go. Maybe that would be a way of uh, a way of thinking about that, um, and that kind of leads into what I would uh, what I would think of as our. Maybe we can move into move into number two here, and that is depression is an illness, not a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yep, and and by that I mean that we just as we kind of mis miscategorize or mistitle the word depression. Uh, I cannot tell you, Scott, how many times I have had people give me variants on the on the theme of if you trust God more, you will be happy. And that essentially means you therefore won't be depressed. So not only are you depressed, you're also maybe going to hell. Because you don't have enough faith. <laughs> right. So on top of the depression, let's add a healthy dose of guilt. Yeah, because most depressed people don't have enough guilt in their life. Right, right. Um, and I don't think that we can overemphasize how significant that that point is. Um, we In our culture, we essentially equate faith with willpower. Faith is an act of will. And, you know, again, you think of the common phrase, uh, phrases along the lines of, well, you can do anything you want if you have enough faith. Mm-hmm. And, and that really doesn't mean faith. That means strength of will. Mm-hmm. And, and so if someone is not capable of functioning within normal boundaries, for the Christian, we are tempted. Maybe we don't, but we are tempted to believe that 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 everything sort of boils down to a faith issue. So now, we spiritualize everything. We spiritualize everything. Now, obviously, depression is closely related to uh, spiritual matters. I think that while they are, um, while they may, while they're not the same, they are almost always both present but the, but it is imp- very important in my mind at least for us to kind of keep those keep those concepts separate in our heads because that helps us to understand treatment better so good christians can get depressed you know it, it, it's it's not a matter of well you just don't you know you're not a believer or you know, you're not trusting in the Lord with all your heart sort of thing. Well, of course you're not. No, and, you know, no, no one does. No Good one Christians, does. anybody can get depressed. Good Christians who, who, folks who go to church, folks who make use of the means of grace, folks who pray. And, and in fact, sometimes I would say depressed people probably uh, may even pray more, and, you know, right. because of their depression and seek God. Right. But um, 
You know, it's it, when we understand that it's an illness and that there's a biological component to this, not just a spiritual one, like you were saying, but a biological, a physical one, then that opens up more treatment options for you too. Sure. Now, I think a part of the, a part of the weirdness of this whole thing is that that is why when you have someone, someone who is a, a leader in a community, um, but and let's take the the pastor in this instance. If you have someone who's a leader in the uh, someone who's a pastor of a congregation, and in your mind, depression equals um, lack of faith or something along those lines, and the pastor gets depression, what's the problem? Must be God. It must be God that's giving. You know, it, it's either it must be God that's giving this this to this guy or yeah, this guy, or it is, <clears throat> it is a fact that this, this guy that I thought was our, our spiritual head in this community, for lack of a better term, he doesn't have faith. Yeah. Has he been lying to us this whole time about all these words? And, and so uh, having a mental illness or depression on the part of a pastor can actually lead to a spiritual crisis on the part of the congregation, which, which I think sort of uncovers some faith challenges that every congregation faces. I don't think this is unusual at all. No, no, I don't either. Um, but I like what you said that it, it can uncover and in some ways it can even then lead to some, some good because it can help, you know, reveal or, or unconceal some of our, some of our spiritual weaknesses. I mean, it's a spiritual weakness to think that Christians are always strong. <laughs> right. Right. That, I yeah. mean, that's hubris really. Yes, that is. That's, that's a misunderstanding of human nature and all kinds of fun stuff. So, so what's uh let's go on. What so what's next on our list? Well, um you know, we didn't exactly number this, but here's here's my next one I wanted to mention. And that is that depression can manifest differently for different people. So sometimes, you know, people will feel sadness. Sometimes the emotional sadness will be part of their struggle with depression. They may have dark thoughts or or whatnot. But I've talked to folks who experience depression not so much as uh, sadness, emotional sadness as just sort of emotional numbness and, uh, and feeling paralyzed and not being able to move and feeling exhausted and fatigued. Um, that that's sometimes how depression manifests. And I think that it's helpful when we know those different symptoms to look for and not just always think, well, someone's blue or they're just having, you know, they're dark and, and <laughs> they have dark well, thoughts. Uh, yeah. If we think of depression as grief, then we're going to presume that all of the all of the symptoms of grief equal symptoms for depression. Um, a book uh, I don't have it in front of me, but a book that I have uh, found some benefit for over the years is is uh, titled "Unmasking Male Depression." Have you mm. ever? I mean, are you familiar with this book? No, no, yeah. I'm not. It's a good one. one. Um, and one of the a, a couple of things the author highlights is that very often in men. Depression manifests itself as irritability, anger, impatience, um, all of which kind of stems from uh, a lack of control, the inability to uh, process information as you as you think that you should be able to, 
And so different people are going to react to that processing problem differently. Um, and that and that is very common. So so what was the title of that? Unmasking, Unmasking male, depression. male depression. Yeah. So does the book tell you what female depression looks like? Um, it, it does, but only in a secondary sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the point of this for this author is to is to show that uh, what we may think of as as simply male character traits may not be male character traits, but actually a part of a part of something else entirely. It's a good Science book. Did. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I recommend it pretty often. Good to know. I just wrote yep. it down. Yep, it's a good one. Um, and, and again, this is a this is another observation that I think is obvious. I hope is obvious, but um, may not be to everyone. Uh, and that is that depression is treatable. Right, right. You don't have to. You don't have to think. Well, you know, I'm trapped. <laughs> you know, right. or let it define you. Right. Because, right. You know, like the big D, it just is who you are now. Yeah. Well, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit when I get to my uh, my. Uh, uh, joy pick for this week. But I do think that there is still a sense in our culture that mental illnesses are are very much a stigma and are kind of the boogeyman. And because you're talking about a mental illness, that must mean that they're, that ultimately this is all voodoo. <laughs> and yeah. and there's nothing that you can do about it and so you're you're essentially doomed um and even if people intellectually may know otherwise uh our our guts are are pretty firmly set in the place of if i can't see the problem then it it's either not real so somebody's making it up or it's um or it's impossible to fix so do you think that someone who has not experienced depression and maybe has never lived with someone who has depression uh, is more prone to this misunderstanding and, and to think, well, you know, it's really just a matter of you not kind of pulling your act together? Sure. Well, I think a lot of times if you look at um, it, you look at kind of common common things that happen to people with mental illness. All right. One of the common things is that they lose their job. So Mm -hmm. mental illness and financial instability are almost always present together. And just about anybody knows that financial instability is going to lead to mental and emotional instability that they and so it's a very it's a vicious cycle now why would that be well from the perspective of the outsider someone suffering from depression uh may have a hard time getting up in the morning they aren't able to uh they aren't able to function properly they're not able to process information as they once did uh they may have an extremely difficult time making decisions and and so things that things that we take for granted that we kind of assume are you know this is just not a big deal all of a sudden can become a really big deal i can remember uh quite vividly Eight years ago, nine years ago, when I was on disability, uh, having a numerous days when a victory, Scott, 
was mm. brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was right, right. That was a victory. And it's like brushing right. your teeth. How is that a victory? Well, if it takes you an hour and a half to get up, get up and physically get up in the morning, brush your teeth and go back to bed, then I guarantee brushing your teeth is a victory. Well, to the outside world, that is just la- plain laziness. Yeah. And so, and, and on top of that, uh, there is also a, a matter of shame that mm-hmm. goes with a mental illness that means that the individual may not want other people to know about it. Sure. Well, it goes back to that stigma that you were talking about. And what, you know, so you said that um, a lot of times folks with mental illness will lose their jobs. And right. is that because they're not functioning properly? Sure. And, because, you know, you, you can't fire someone because they have a mental illness, can you? No, no. But if I, as the, as a person with a mental illness, am afraid of letting anybody know, maybe I right, myself right. don't know. I mean, right. most cases undiagnosed, of, right? Most cases of, of uh, depression uh, go undiagnosed. And so if I don't know that I am what's going on, then all of the sudden to the outsider again, I'm going to look like an absolute lazy bum because I'm not moving. I'm not able to make decisions. Uh, I'm probably putting off. Uh, chores or parts of my vocation that I don't want to do. Yeah. And, and so to the outsider, what does that all equal? That equals someone that is not capable of doing their job. Someone's irresponsible or they're lazy right. or they're just not mature enough to handle the responsibilities. Right. I, when I in know, fact, it could just be, it could be an un, undiagnosed and untreated case of depression. Sure. And it may be treated, of course, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. often I think it's undiagnosed. Now, if you're talking about a pastor, that may manifest itself in things like not not entering into situations that are stressful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that would equal making shut-in visits. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time making shut-in visits. Even now, I have a hard time making shut-in visits. I do them, but um, it is not something that comes naturally to me. Can I mm-hmm. say that on air? Is that legal? I think so. Okay. I'm with you. I hope I don't get in the, uh, I, hear I, you. I hope I don't have the shut in police come after me. <laughs> um, but, but because, because that's something that I don't do naturally, that means that when I am, when I'm stressed, when I'm pressured, when I am, de- when I am suffering from depression, that means that that's going to be one of the first things that I tried to, that I try to pull out of. Mm-hmm. And don't do well again. If you're Susie shut in, what does that equal? The yeah. pastor said that he was going to come see me, and he didn't. Yeah, obviously not, he hates me. Yeah, yeah, not, that's good. not good. That's no, not, not good. No. So what you know? So if someone someone thinks that they're experiencing these symptoms that we're describing, or their loved one is, what's the first thing they can do? We were talking about it's treatable. So, you know, what is what are some of the first things they can do? Go to your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you had a broken leg, you would never – you would not seriously consider the stigma of having a broken leg as a part of your problem with going to the doctor. Um, you would go to a doctor. Right. And so if you are not functioning as you ought to, as as – 
as would be considered normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you look at um, look at uh, th- there are a, a lot of tools that doctors and nurses and um, healthcare professionals use for helping to diagnose depression. You know, there are lots of checklists and other things. And one of the things that will often come up on those lists is something along the lines of, um, are you enjoying the things that you normally enjoy or, uh, or are you, are you finding that these things no longer bring you joy? Mm -hmm. Um, and so there are things that can be a sign along the way. And there are other physical symptoms too, right? I mean, you know, sometimes if a person isn't sleeping or they're sleeping too much, either one, they may be sleeping too much. They may would be waking up early in the morning when they, you know, much earlier than they need to or want to. Um, Their appetite may be affected again, either way, they might be gaining weight or they might be losing weight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, uh, you can almost say if things are out of balance in some Mm -hmm. fashion, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that everything comes down to mental illness. And no, I suppose, no. Scott, we probably ought to put a brief, uh, a, a brief disclaimer in to say that neither of us are doctors, correct, or or mental health professionals in any capacity. That we're speaking as a as two pastors um, that that care for people and and help and deal with people that suffer from mental illness on a pretty regular basis. So this is kind of uh uh this is this is a fraternal counsel. This is this is not any kind of professional diagnosis or help. No. And and that's why we said, you know, why let's see a physician. If yeah. if if you think that you have some of these signs and you wonder, you know, especially if it's noticeably different than what you used to be, how you right. used to be. Right, right. You know, if you've always kind of been sort of a melancholic person, it might be a little harder to notice some of these signs. But if if it seems like it's out of character, other people have noticed that it's that you seem to be out of sorts. It's no, there's never a, a bad it's never a bad thing to go talk to your doctor about it. Right. Right. Even if you, even if it turns out to be something else, like a hormone imbalance or a right. thyroid um, condition, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there right. might be something else that's causing your right. your symptoms, but uh, it's still always good to go check with the doctor. And then if if the doctor thinks you need some other specialist attention, then that's what the doctor will say. Sure, sure. And and I think we can move off of this for now. Is that okay. this is really for our purposes a first pass on this topic? This is such a big topic that. Uh, that I think it's worth our. Um, uh, we're going to come back to it, uh, but this one I do. I do want to talk about, and that is mental illness often leads to spiritual despair. Mm. Hmm. So it's not necessarily identical to spiritual angst or spiritual unfectung, right? But it can lead to despair. It can lead to something like that. Yeah, it can lead to it can lead to despair. Yeah. Um, now what and and a part of what I mean with that is <clears throat> despair in my mind is a more theological term than than just uh than depression. I think of depression in this more clinical definition whereas despair means a lack of faith. You know, you think of um think of the explanation of the sixth petition. You know, lead us not into false belief, despair and other great shame and vice. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's the seventh petition, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's almost like I'm done teaching confirmation for the year. <laughs> we'll forgive. So define despair again. It, you're, you're defining it as a spiritual lack of faith or absence yeah. Des- of faith. Despair is, 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 is questioning, uh, is, is, is a lack of trust, lack of mm-hmm. faith. And so if I am, uh, if I am struggling with depression or mental illness, there are a lot of things that happen with that, which can lead to a crisis of faith or despair. Um, for example, if you're not able to process information in the same way as you normally did, that may mean that things like being in crowds are very difficult because of all of the noise um, or, or light you can become very sensitive to light. Uh, well, if you're not able to be in groups of people with noise and light, that kind of sounds like going to church. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you go to a church of one in a dark room. Unless you're a Quaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so as a result of that, they're very often people who suffer from depression isolate themselves. Now, it may be a matter of necessity. You know, this is kind of a, a sort of self-preservation piece. But there are going to be other consequences to that isolation, uh, not just and not simply loneliness. Uh, so the person may be feeling two kind of contradictory things. One is that they feel lonely and isolated, but two, that they can't stand being around people. So, you know, again, with the caveat that we're not professional diagnosticians here, but there nice are use of diagnosticians. You like the, the word uh, that I just do. came out. I don't it know. Just where, came just, out it just flowed like from the Holy like, Spirit, just like honey. It yep. just came. It just smooth. beautiful. So listen, um, even though um, so we have to acknowledge that there's sometimes a cluster of maladies, right? Sure. That, that with depression, there might also be, and this is different, but there might also be anxiety right. or social anxiety. Cause sure. some of the things you're describing kind of might be classified as, as those things, which can be treated on their own right. Sometimes with the same kind of treatment, either medication or exercise and diet, right. the same medic, the same treatments can affect those, help those different things. But sometimes people might have anxiety, but not depression. Right. Right. You know, where and, they're anxious. And a lot about of times, depressed. And a lot of times anxiety and depression are kind of two sides of the same coin, really. They're, they're two sides of the same or similar malady. That's another one of these things where uh, they may be diagnosed together often, but yeah. may not be identical. Well, that's why I said they come in clusters. Yeah. You know, there's usually not just one thing. Right, right. Now, <clears throat> so all of the – here's another example of how this can lead to despair, and that is – Depression has so much to do with how we process inputs, physical stimulus, um, what we see, what we hear, what we um, touch, smell, etc. Um, for me, uh, one of the things that is very hard for me when I am uh, when I am in depression is reading. Mm. I I think I went for a whole year without reading. I mean, not reading a comic strip, nothing. Yeah. I just couldn't process the words on the page and and so well what what other spiritual consequences is that going to have well 
that means that I am going to be cut off from the word of God in one aspect at least. Yeah, right. Um, and, and so there are always these, these kind of collateral issues. And, and, uh, and Scott, there are so many things in our lives that, that are physical but have spiritual consequences or spiritual that have physical consequences. It was just um, in our Bible class this morning, we were reading John 21. We've been studying John for about a thousand years and we're just about at the end of it. So I'm ready for the new millennium. And and so we're looking at John 21 where Jesus with the miraculous catch of fish with the disciples off of the, uh, off of the Sea of Galilee there. And it did strike me as very interesting that what does, what does Jesus do in this case? Well, he doesn't start off by giving them, you know, some Sermon on the Mount-esque lecture or, or thing. What does he do? He feeds them. Yeah. They've been fishing all night. They're hungry. They're tired. He feeds them. He gives them, he gives them fish and bread. He takes care of their bodies. And that, because taking care of their bodies, I would suggest, puts them in a position to where they are able to hear. Yeah. Yeah, we tend to we tend to be dualists, don't we? We want to kind of divide off the mind and the soul or the the higher self from the lower self too easily and, and not and not realize that the mind and the body are are one self. You're, you know, and so what affects the one is gonna affect the other. Yeah. Yeah. And it I think about this a lot in terms of where does the church fit in this whole thing? Because mm-hmm. as, as health healthcare continues to go down bizarre co- roads and corners in our society, it becomes more expensive. You know, it's legally mandated, but that doesn't magically create money to pay for it. Um, I am firmly convinced that in the, that in the years and decades to come, that there are going to be more and more people that are going to be in great physical need. And that is where, historically at least, that is where the church has often stepped in and helped. Most of the church, most of the hospitals in the United States were founded by churches originally. No, no question, sure. No question about it. But uh, what I'm not sure about, Scott, is is if the Christian church in America is capable of that kind of mercy because I don't know if we get the connection between the body and the mind and the soul. I, I, I question whether we do anymore. I think we have so relinquished that to the state or to private endeavor that it's going to be a shift in thinking to get that back. Yeah, it is big time. And, and if you think of it, kind of given all of these all of these symptoms, all of these things going on in the mind and body of someone who suffers from depression. As a church, what can what can we as as congregations do concretely to help someone in this circumstance? Well, I'm not a doctor. I may have doctors in my congregation. I may have nurses. There may be some medical expertise. That is certainly possible. Um but a lot of times there are collateral things that can be done that the church can step in to do that isn't being done. Maybe, that'll, maybe that is kind of a good, uh, 
uh, a good segue into our next into our next one, and that is uh, care for the family. Maybe the best help a church can do. A lot of times when you're talking about someone suffering from mental illness, uh, they're going to be isolated, as we said before. They're going to be in need, but they may not be completely isolated. It may be that this is a husband or a wife that has a family, you know, or parents or, you know, other siblings that live with them. And, and that those other people are maybe deeply affected by by this whole process. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that paying attention to the family, whether we're talking about depression or another mental illness or addiction um, is another area. That's a whole other topic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Actually, it is a topic we might want to address at some some point. Um, but you know, I think, I think that at least the world understands this more and more and the church needs to catch up if we, if we're not doing this already, that the, that the family, it's a system, right? It's all one system. It's you and it's your family and what affects you, it affects them, what affects them affects you. And you know, you can't, you can't not be a part of your system. And so we need, the healing needs to approach the whole thing in some way. And, you know, you know, I don't know if that means that they need to be educated. I think they need to be informed about what, you know, to, there are, you know, there's National Alliance on Mental Illness, the right. uh, NAMI. Yep. They do a lot of good, a lot of good work in terms of educating folks about mental illness and educating the family members of people with mental illness. And they can, they can help your church too. They can provide materials for your church to, to help you become more aware. What was that book that um that we were talking about uh, earlier by uh, Simpson. Oh yeah, I think it's called Troubled Minds. Yeah, by Amy Simpson. That's a really great resource. Yeah, 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 yeah. This I, is a woman that that grew up in a parsonage, and her mother was schizophrenic, and so there's mental illness in the family. So the first part of the book, she talks about her experience, and then the, the second half of the book, she talks about what um, you know, what churches can do, where churches are 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 missing the boat and what, what, what are some things to look for? I mean, she gives some real practical tips. Yeah, that's good. Um, another book that's in this kind of same, same realm is called the burden of sympathy, how families Mm. cope with mental illness. That's by a a sociologist named David Karp, K-A-R-P. And, and so he, he looks at from the perspective of of a sociologist how mental illness affects these these systems, as you put it, mm-hmm. and and those around that has a really, I think, very interesting conversation about stigma, and um and the the stigma behind mental illness, uh, and another uh, 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 there's a lot of related things there, but it's a really great book. I have used it. I can't find my copy, which probably means I gave it away, and I the probably title need to again? order it again. The title is "The Burden of Sympathy." How Families Cope with Mental Illness. Great book. Got it. I'm writing that one down too. Let's okay. do, um, I think let's let's do a couple more and then wrap up. We may have to make this a two-parter or something. Uh, uh, another one that I think is important for a congregation to recognize is the matter of boundaries, by which I mean understand 
what you are capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing. Very often when we're talking about mental illness, you're talking about someone that is in a, is maybe in a needy, uh, bordering on desperate state. Um, honestly, it's very difficult spending a lot of time with someone who is, who is severely clinically depressed. It's depressing. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, it's it's demanding of the caregiver, right? It's very demanding of the caregiver. Caregiver can easily get to the point of compassion fatigue, and and so it's important for the church to be clear in their own head about what are the boundaries that they're capable of doing, and and to kind of stick with those, not for, not as a matter of of cruelty but so that you are able to continue to care because it's not really helpful at the end of the day if you spend all if a congregation spends so much of its time and money and energy and care on one person so that they are incapable of caring for the next 50 people that are in need so so that matter and that's not easy so that boundaries. is for sure boundaries is a i think is a big deal and is not easy at all that's for sure. What can a pastor do? I mean, we're not we're not therapists. Yep, we're not therapists. We don't. Um, uh, I don't have a magic wand or anything along those lines. Last I checked, um, in my the way that I try to think about this, Scott, is what do I bring to the table as a pastor that no one else can bring? Or that no one else can bring in the same way. And the, the short answer to that is, uh, is the sacraments is, is the word, the absolution, the forgiveness of sins, the healing medicine of the Eucharist. And the more that I am able to preach and teach an indi- to an individual and and speak these words of healing to an individual and give them the gospel that is going to strengthen their faith and and I'm going to go out on a crazy limb here Scott and it may be that our uh, that our listeners are going to write in and call me a heretic for this okay and if they want to write in and call me a heretic they can write in at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. <laughs> like how I did that. Wasn't that a good mm-hmm. little transition? Um, but that, but here's the, here's the crazy thought. And that is that the Eucharist is good for your body. Oh yeah. Um, that in the, in the ancient church, it was called the medicine of immortality and it's called. And so that concept of the Eucharist as, as medicine, that is actually good for you and that there is a relationship between your soul and your body. What's good for your soul is going to help your body. That means that I have something to give that honestly a doctor can't give. No amount of of antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication or anything is can replace the forgiveness of sins and the healing presence of Christ. That's what I bring to the table. And that's, and that's what the church, that's what the church brings in this circumstance. Not, not, um, not to the exclusion of caring for the body, but that is kind of the unique piece to the puzzle that I think that we can, that we can bring in this whole thing. 
Yeah, it's a, it's really amazing when you look into it how the forgiveness of sins in the in the New Testament is tied to healing. Yep. Absolutely. There is and the language of healing. Yep, the language right, the language of healing that you know, even the word forgive has this sense of release and mm-hmm. and this release, this letting go of sickness, of disease, etc. There's we should do a topic on on the healing ministry of Jesus sometime. I think totally that would, agree. I think that would be very interesting to look at because when you look at and and this is what I like about something like depression, Scott. And <laughs> I mean, I know that's a little sick, but what can I say? Um, and that is that depression strips away all of our preconceptions and kind of lays bare our 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 challenges, our weaknesses. And, and just kind of lays it all out there. And in some ways, that means that God can use that to bring about healing in a way that maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise. Again, it's not my job to second guess God, fortunately, because I would be pretty terrible at that. But, but these sicknesses can actually be something that God uses for good. It doesn't mean that the sickness is good. That means that God uses it for good. Right. It's like, um, we're, you know, in my, in my Bible class on Sunday morning, we're doing Romans and we just, we're, we're still working on Romans five and, you know, St. Paul says to rejoice in your sufferings. And, and I don't think he means rejoice about your suffering or rejoice right. for suffering. Um, but in the midst of, right. You know, in the midst of your sufferings, you can find joy. And sometimes because of the sufferings, you can find joy. Yeah, yeah. You think we have? Uh, you think we've done enough on this for today? What do you think? Sure. Yeah. Let's go ahead to the conclusion. Yeah. Let's let's do that. But this is really a first crack at this, I think. And and I know, at least in my mind, this is a little bit shotgun splatter. But eh, it's a Wednesday morning. What can you say? Um, mm-hmm. So let's uh, so let's go on then to the uh, to the matter of. A friend of the show, and I have two friends of the show this morning that I want to that I want to mention. I said at the beginning of the show that my my oldest daughter is graduating from eighth grade today. Actually, this is her last day, and and so in that case, I have to mention two institutions that have been pretty instrumental in her life and and growth as a Christian. Uh, the first is Christ Lutheran Academy. Christ Lutheran Academy is this uh, wonderful, wonderful school that I was privileged to help start in Wisconsin when I was a pastor there. And Renata went to school there from kindergarten through fourth grade. And then the second is St. Mark's Lutheran School, which is the school that she has gone to since we have been here in in California. Uh, St. Mark's is a Wisconsin Synod church near us uh, in a town called Citrus Heights. And, uh, and it's a, it's really a great school, Scott. I cannot speak highly enough of the, of the teachers. And, you know, it's kind of weird having a Missouri Synod guy come in with all of his uh, Missouri Synod pastor come in with his family and bring all of his, you know, our four kids go to school there. Um, they have managed to, uh, to embrace us in a way that is, uh, faithful to their own confession. 
Um, but, uh, you know, so I'm not going in and teaching religion or anything crazy like that, but they have, they have welcomed us and embraced us and, uh, and it has been a great gift to us. So, uh, I want to give a, uh, uh, give a crux shout out to, uh, Christ Lutheran Academy and St. Mark's Lutheran School. Well, that's awesome. Nothing like a, nothing like Christian schools. Yep. Yep, it is a a big part of a uh, big part of our identity. That is for sure. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy? Okay, well, you know, I usually pick a book, and um, today's going to be a little different. I'm not going to pick a book, but it's bookish. Um, have you ever? I'm sure you have, but have you ever gotten courses from the teaching company? I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about, yep. if you haven't done it or not. Yeah. Okay, so you get the catalog or you see their website or you get emails or maybe you do. But they they really have a, an outstanding um, supply of different kinds of, uh, of what a variety of courses you can take. And in the last few weeks or last few months, I've been really taking advantage of our public library and getting them either from our library, the ones that they have on hand, or getting them through interlibrary loan. And I've been – and I've gone through – these are – these are lecturers from excellent institutions, the best in, the best of the best. And they give cool. sometimes they're 12 sessions or sometimes they're 24 sessions or even 36 sessions. And I've done everything from uh, writing short stories to uh, gen- intro to genetics to – and right now I'm working on the history of the Catholic Church. So there's no end of ways to enrich your mind by using the teaching company. You can download them or you can get them on disk. Hmm. Interesting. Do they have uh, uh so do you only get them individually or do they have a like a subscription model so you can subscribe to the teaching company and then get all of their stuff? How does that work? No, I don't idea? think so. I don't I I don't think there's a subscription. I mean, and to get all of their stuff, I mean, they've got I, I would say hundreds of courses that you okay. can take. It would take you your the rest of your life to try to do everything they've got. Um, and they've, cause they've been doing this for a number of years. I mean, this has been around at least for a couple of decades and okay. maybe, you know, cause it, cause I can remember getting courses on it way back when on cassette tapes. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think so, I've done I a mean, couple it, of them in the past, but it's been a while. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested, they have a lot of stuff on history. They have a lot of stuff on science. Most of their theology stuff is stuff you want to stay away from. But um, <laughs> I've got I'm, right. they, really they get, they get the most liberal guys to teach New Testament and stuff like that. Sure. But 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 the course I'm doing right now on the history of Catholic Church, the guy, I can't remember the name of the professor, but he's he's a professing Catholic and he does not. He does not dismiss the Catholic faith. You know, he, he's talking about the history of the Catholic Church and it's, it's quite informative. I'm enjoying cool. it. Good. Well, that's a good that's a good pick. I look forward to uh, taking a listen. Um, my uh, my pick for this week on the uh, joy list always a little odd picking a a uh, picking a book on the joy list that has to do with depression, but you know, sort of <laughs> live on the edge, I guess. Um, it's written by uh, that uh, David Carp, who is the man with the other book that I recommended. The name of this book is Speaking of Sadness, Depression, Disconnection, and the Meanings of of Illness. Uh, And again, Carp is a sociologist. This book is, uh, I'm going to say, almost 20 years old. Um, But he does a masterful job at looking from the perspective of a sociologist on the place of mental illness in our society. Um. You know, if you were looking at 100 years or 150 years ago or more, uh, mental illness, uh, you know, mad as a hatter, um, <clears throat> mental illness was often equated with 
either demon possession or some kind of massive moral failure. And and that perspective has changed over the last few generations. Uh, there's still, I would suggest, a lot of stigma behind mental illness. But um, but he does a, I think, a really good job of 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 helping helping to understand where this what this means and kind of where this fits into our into our culture, our society. And I think it's a good thing for a church to sort of get a handle on. So that's what's on my uh, joy list for this good, week. That's a good book. That's it a is good a book. good one. Have you, you you recommended it to me? Yeah, I've read it. You re- you recommended it to me years ago, and I've it was it's been a while, but I've I looked at it about ten years ago, maybe. Yeah, it's Not probably that been that. Yeah, it's probably been a while. It's a good one though. Very good. Uh, I think it was first recommended to me actually by uh, Bev Yonke from Doxology. She mm-hmm. uh, she okay. put me onto that one a long time ago. Well, Scott, I think. Um, I think that we are about done here. Do you have uh, any final words for our dear listeners? No final words. No final words. <laughs> and with that final word, you can find this episode at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 20. And we will see you next time. Goodbye.